Man, great to have you guys with us today and uh, great worship today as we um, really in many ways are just now learning what it means to be managing even without Lee. And uh, so many of us uh, know him well, hurting uh, as Lee um, is now celebrating in a way we can't even understand yet. I'm just telling you this. We have a God who has it in hand. He has eternity in hand, and we have a chance of worshiping him for all eternity. Praise his name for salvation. Amen. And, uh, man, we look at Lee, and we're excited about where he is at. We're excited about all that he is tasting and seeing. And um, our job today is simply this. As we start walking through Romans chapter 11, Lord, what does it mean that you are the God of salvation and the God of hope? Lord, how do we lean on you in this, and what do you want to teach us? May your glory be elevated as we take a look here. All right. So turn with me, if you will, to Romans chapter 11, verse 1. Romans 11, verse 1. We got ushers coming forward. They've got Bibles in their hands. Uh, If you need a Bible, just raise your hand. They'll get one to you. All right. Uh, Romans 11, verse 1. And uh, God's salvation plan for the nations. That's the title of today's sermon. As we walk through Romans 11, the first thing we need to know and believe in, uh, trust Israel is not fully rejected by God, but rather he is working through a remnant chosen by grace. Trust. Israel is not fully rejected by God, but rather he is working through a remnant chosen by grace. Romans 9, 10, and 11 is all about relationship with God, his sovereign hand on it, man's responsibility in it. But what is God's plan of salvation? What's he doing with Israel? And what's he doing with the Gentiles? So Paul picks that up here in uh, Romans 11, verse 1. Here we go. He says, I ask then, has God rejected his people? And uh, this is a big deal moment for Paul. He's like, hey man, the Israelites were called the chosen people of God, promised from him. And if they're the promised ones, and then he doesn't make good on that promise, well, we're all in trouble. If God isn't making good on his promise, so his question is, I ask then, has God rejected his people? And the answer is, by no means, right? By no means. We've seen Paul ask this several times over where he asks questions, and he answers it with the simple statement, by no means. And uh, what's the answer? By no means. So get ready. I'm going to ask the question. You give me the answer. He said, I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means. Absolutely not. God is still the God of the universe. He is true to his promise. He has not rejected his people. Paul says, for I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. He's like, hey man, just, just look right here. I'm an Israelite. And, uh, and I've been following after him. God took me and shook me up. I was standing against him in rebellion. I was actually big on murdering anybody following him. And God changed my heart towards him in a moment. And uh, I'm an Israelite. And uh, God hasn't let go of the Israelites. He's working through me. He, he's working through a remnant. And we're going to see that word pop up in just a second. Paul's like, absolutely not. Take a look at my life. And uh, God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Huge word. Whom he foreknew. And uh, we need to make sure we understand that word. I'm not going to spend a ton of time camping out here, but just know this. Please look at the object of 
the foreknowing, whom he foreknew. It's the person, the people that he's knowing. Not facts. It's not something cold and isolated. He knows the people whom he foreknew. Uh, that's a big de- Everybody say, that's a big deal. I'm just telling you, as you wrestle with foreknowledge and what does it mean to foreknow, you must understand that it's more than just some facts. There is some knowing of the person. There's an implication of relationship, of intimacy of some sort in that, as he knows people, not about them, but them. Big deal. And uh, says, God has, re- uh, God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah? How he appealed to God against Israel. All right. So now he's talking about Elijah, Old Testament and some things going on. Israel's in rebellion against things aren't going well. And Elijah's kind of had it. He's like, I'm sick of all these people. And so against Israel. All right. His role is prophet. That means he was really supposed to be kind of the man between the people and God. He was supposed to take the people towards God and God being more clear to the people. And the prophet, well, he spoke against them. And uh, that's not a good moment, man. When your only representative is like, I'm sick of them. Right? That's not a good moment. And uh, Elijah's standing up and uh, has some comment to make here to God. He says, Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have demolished your altars. And I alone am left. And they seek my life. I alone am left. Have you ever felt like that? Like, uh... God, I don't know what you're doing, and it seems like nobody else is rallying to this cause, and it's me alone, and and I don't know if I can carry this weight, and maybe it's in your work, maybe it's in your family, in your home life, maybe it's in relationships that you have going on, or in school, you're like, it's like me alone, God, and I, well, just so you know, oftentimes when we put ourselves in those positions, it's our issue. We're creating the perspective problem ourselves. And I just wrote this down. When we think we know more than God, that's when we'll start feeling hopeless. Okay. Uh, When we think the situation is unfixable, that's when we'll start feeling hopeless. And that's when you start declaring things like Elijah declared. And, And so God's answer back to him. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Right? Elijah's like, I'm all alone. God's like, you and 7,000 others. Right? And uh, you miscounted by a little. Right? And I'm just telling you, there are people throughout the nation of Israel and their heart is stirred towards me. They will not bow to an idol. They are in, on board with me. They have faith in me. I have lifted them up. I am working with them and they are in awe. You and the remnant of 7,000 others as God works with the nation of Israel. Alright? And, uh, So Paul's using that as an example, and he says, so too at this present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. He's like, hear me on this. Even today, where it seems like Israel is rejecting God outright, there is remnant. He already gave himself as one example. There is a group of people who are grasping Jesus Christ, even though, yes, Israelites grasping Jesus Christ. Every generation in Israel will have a remnant. The nation will survive and there will be believers in him and uh, chosen. It says here by grace. 
Chosen by grace. Not chosen by merit. Wow, what a great job that guy did. I'll work with that guy. Well, look at that guy's excellence. I'll pick him up and choose him. And it's not based on their works. It's based on God's grace. All right, chosen by grace. God's work in their life. It says, but it is by grace. It is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. He's like, listen, I know the law called out for works. And uh, yeah, that didn't get it done. The law calling out for works and the problem, the shortcoming in the law isn't the law's problem. It's ours. We come up short. We're not perfect. We don't fulfill it. And so the basis of works thing is done. Now by grace, by through faith, right? And we have a God at work in this world. And it says he's choosing by grace. And uh, again, back to Romans chapter 9. You're going to see this over and over again in Romans 11. Romans 9, God's sovereignty, right? And then Romans 10, man's responsibility. And Romans 11, both God's sovereignty and man's responsibility expressed in the same chapter. All right. So here we're seeing God's sovereignty. He's choosing. He's moving. He's calling out a remnant to make much of his mercy. And uh, while the world has rejected, God is lifting up souls that will make much of him and his mercy and his love. And uh, huge deal. It says, what then? Israel failed to obtain what they were seeking. The elect obtained it and the rest were hardened. Have you heard these words before? Right. So Israel failed to obtain it. They were going after self-righteousness. They were going after the law and they were walking in going, okay, God, you need me. You wouldn't believe how good I am. And look what I'm accomplishing for you. And do you see how awesome and self-righteousness I'm, I'm good enough that you should take me. And man, if you're on the good enough plan, please get off of it today. Scripture is pretty clear about where that ends up. All right. The good enough plan doesn't get it done. It's not uh, good enough. All right. And uh, we need him and we need the righteousness of our savior, Jesus Christ. And it's faith alone in him that gets it done. And so he says here, uh, Israel, they failed to obtain it. The elect obtained it. The elect obtained it. Now here's that word elect predestined chosen. Like all these words kind of go together. They mean God's got his hand in it from the beginning of time as he's working with people, calling them out to put his mercy on display. The elect obtained it. That's by faith as they trust in him and the rest were hardened. Now, don't forget what that word means, right? Be very careful. The word hardened. You remember the illustration we put up here a couple weeks back. And so we had the ramp that was moving away from God, right? Down and away. And the ball was rolling down it. That's all of us naturally heart inclined away from him, right? And what does it mean to harden? It means God may have his merciful hand on them throughout their life at some level. He's pouring into them, but they are rebelling against him. They're always in sin. They don't want to be with him. And at some point, hardening is remove mercy. And they roll off to where they exactly want to be. They're going to the natural inclination of their heart away from him. And they made that choice to be there. Hardened. It's when God allows you to move away from him and doesn't battle you in, doesn't pull you in, doesn't transform in some way. All right. Hardening. It's allowing them to go to the end of their own heart's position against him. Hardened. And uh, then he gives some description of it. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see, ears that would not hear, down to the very day. 
The end result is they're not getting it. They're not hearing it. They don't see it. They can't even see God in the midst of it. They're shaking a fist at him and God gave them over to that. We see that even in Romans 1, God giving us over to our sin if we continue in that. That's the result of mankind on their own. Uh, everybody say it's a bad spot. All right. We don't want to be there. And uh, Lord, may you be worshiped. May you be glorified. It says, and David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. Um, they have absolutely no problem describing God as part of the role of these guys falling away from him, moving away from him. As God pulls away his mercy hand and allows them to be hardened, all right, actively in that. Huge deal, man. God playing a role in it. We're going to see this come up in a little bit. And um, isn't it amazing when we see bad things happen? We're devastated by it, right? We're like, what in the world? And how could good come from this? And um, so I was working in tele labs, a telecommunications firm a number of years back. I was an engineer for about 17 years and uh, did design work, chip design, software programming, that kind of stuff. And, and um, loved doing the work I was in. I was in one group for a long time and had ended up requesting to be able to move over to this other organization. They had a chance to do some chip design there. It would have been very cutting edge, uh, very unique to the marketplace at the time. Really would like to have gotten that opportunity. So I went to them and said, man, if I could, I'd love to interview for that. They let me do that. I went over and interviewed and um, they ended up giving me the job offer. And uh, so I was excited. I was going to be going over doing some chip design. And then I was asked to go to lunch with the director of engineering. Um, that's never a good thing. And I'm uh, like, uh-oh, now what? And uh, so I went out with the director of engineering and sat down with him. And he said, I'm shutting it down. I'm not letting you move. I'm like, what? Is there something that I did? What do I need to know? And he's like, no. I just need you to stay in the group you're in. We got a project coming up and right now we've got you slated to be the lead on that. I want you to stay there. If I lose you on this, I'm afraid the whole thing starts moving off because we lose people that have been there with lots of years of service. So I know this isn't fresh to you, but my request is please lead into this organizational group. Stay there. I need you to do that. I'm not letting you go. Okay. Clear enough. And I went home, talked to John a little bit. We prayed about it and we just said, look, here's the deal. God leads through leadership. And uh, if he's shutting it down for some reason, then so be it. Right now, we're going to trust that. We're just going to move forward. And uh, so he's putting us where we need to be. I'm back in this group that I've been in for 15 years. Here we go. And I uh, moved over and started working back in that group again and worked hard. And I'm telling you, tons of things were going wrong. We had things blow up all over the place. We had to get rid of chips. We had to put new ones in. We had to redesign stuff. And finally, the director of engineering comes to me. He's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. And he's like, why do you keep trying to fix it? When it breaks, you could have exactly what you want and go to this other place. But you keep fixing it. I'm like, isn't that what you asked me to do? Right? And he's like, yeah, but I didn't think you would. I figured when we hit this kind of obstacle, you just let it be the excuse and you'd be out. And I'm like, no, man, you asked me to do a job. I'm going to do the job well. I'm kind of hoping on the backside you'll honor that, but I'm going to do the job well, right? And uh, so we kept grinding it out. Within that year, uh, one of the worst telecom bubble collapses occurred. I was 2000 and uh, it was horrific. And uh, Tel Labs was under massive financial duress 
And uh, we ended up laying off about 75% of the employees over a couple year period of time. The first organization to get cut was that chip design place that I was going into. And every single person got cut, no matter how long their service, you're gone. God knows what he's doing. You trust him in the midst. And even when things look bad, man, God knows what he's doing. Amen. So here's my request to you. What's God doing in your life? Where you need to be looking to trust him that his hand is on it and he knows what he's doing. It may be bad in the moment. God knows what he's doing. Are you ready to trust? All right. Number two. Yes, we need to trust. We've got Israel and Linda in dire straits. Number two, hope. Israel's rejection of Jesus was used to save people from other nations. Can you imagine what will happen when Israel believes? Israel's rejection of Jesus was used to save people from other nations. Can you imagine what will happen when Israel believes? All right. And uh, this is hope. It says, so I ask. Uh, Remember, verse one started out. I ask then. And now this one starts out. So I ask and. Paul's back at the same point. The first verse, verse he was asking, did God reject his people? Now again here, he's like, did they stumble in order that they might fall? This is another way of saying rejection. The word fall here means like to their destruction. That's what the word has. And it's not like a trip, you know, oop, it's not that. It's like, it's over, man. Did they stumble that they might collapse in destruction? Is that what's going on? And uh, of course he gives us an answer here. Gee, I wonder what the answer would be. Uh, by no means, right? By no means. And uh, absolutely not. God is not destroying the nation of Israel. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles. So as to make Israel jealous. Through their trespass, salvation to the Gentiles. I'm telling you that while one nation wouldn't come to him in faith and a remnant alone was saved that was believing in him, then he turns it over to the Gentiles and hundreds of millions of Gentiles coming to know Jesus Christ as Savior. Does God know what he's doing? Answer? I'm telling you, God knows what he's doing. And as he moves away from the nation of Israel in that moment, keeping a remnant still, he now unleashes that thing on the Gentiles. And notice it says then, uh, to make Israel jealous. We're going to come back to that in just a second, all right? We're going to cover that in the next piece because it comes up again. So it says, now if their trespass means, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their Failure means riches for the Gentiles. How much more will the full inclusion mean? If their trespass, if their failure, and we have riches to the Gentiles, man, the world coming to know Christ, how much more when the full inclusion comes in? In fact, just so you know, the word inclusion isn't in the original language. It's basically like when the fullness of them comes in. It's like when all those that God has chosen to work with in Israel, as he raises them up, when they come in, I can't even imagine what's coming down when that thing happens, man. That's what he's saying. Now, he goes into a little detail on that, so let's continue to roll it out. Now, I am speaking to you Gentiles. This is where Paul's kind of like pointing a finger a little bit. And he's like, hey, wake up. Just so you know, pretty much sure all of us in here are Gentiles. 
All right. This is you and me. We all got to listen up. Paul's talking here. Now I'm speaking to you Gentiles. Inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. Paul's like, I'm just telling you, I am going around to the Israelites and I'm letting them know. You should see what God's doing. I'm sharing who Jesus Christ is. I'm making real who God is. And people are coming to trust in him. The name Yahweh is being made much of. God Almighty lifted up. Jesus Christ at the center of it. We have a Savior. And they're finding him to be true. And the Holy Spirit pouring on them. And these lives are being rocked. The church is being built. And why is Paul doing that? Why is he going on sharing that? Is he like bragging? There goes Paul again, bragging about everything he's doing, right? Is that what he's doing? He actually tells us the purpose right after. Look what it says. In order, just so you know, whenever you see the words in order, that means purpose statement, right? What's he trying to do it for? In order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. Let's be honest. Does that sound a little unchristian? I'm going to try to make them jealous, man. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to fire them up. And, and, uh, all right, here's the best way I could try to describe this. Um, have you ever had those moments where like, dad, you get home from work. This is for moms and dads. You walk in the house and like, you see your wife, you come over and you pull her in close. You give her a great big hug, maybe a kiss. And, uh, while you're in the middle of the little hug moment, all of a sudden kids around see the hug going on and they're like, whoa, hugs going on. And they come running over and they try to get in between and they're trying to climb in between it. And some of you are like, not in my house, dude. And, uh, just so you know, pretty much not in my house either. Kids weren't running to get in between, but the dog was, that's what we had. We had the dog coming to get in between Teddy's little tail wagon, whole body wagon as he's trying to get in between the two of us and say, Hey man, if there's some loving going on, I want to be a part of that. Kids were cool. They were good over there. Right. But the dog, he wants in on this. That's what he's talking about. It's this thing where you start seeing the loving going on. God and the Gentiles and this hug fest and this love fest going on as they're seeing God make impact in their lives. And they're like, hey, man, I'd love to be a part of that thing. And they're running on into it to be part of it. If God's sharing some love, I'd love to be there. Okay, that's what he's talking about. He's looking to stir them. Uh, when we're told that the father draws, he draws in a lot of mysterious ways. And here's one of them. As he puts himself on display in working with someone and others around go, man, I'd love to have a piece of that. Isn't that how the church grows a lot of time? As people see God at work in your life. And they're like, I'd love to see that happening. And I don't know how that happens. If that's what's going on. All right. Okay. It says, in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their um, acceptance mean but life from the dead? Uh, what will their acceptance mean? Life from the dead. Just so you know, that phrase is um, basically an allusion to end times. The things that are going, we're, we're seeing a resurrection of the dead in Revelation 20 and beyond. There's two resurrections. Power unleashed when we see the, the dead in Christ rise and their souls connect with their bodies and there's this eternity of celebration with him. And I'm telling you when his power is shown, his authority is given and eternity begins. And that's when the acceptance of Israel has just come in. That's what comes next. Huge deal. Massive celebration. And uh, 
He says, if the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. Uh, he's taking an Old Testament allusion here to the tithing. And he's saying, hey, man, if you give a portion of first fruits gift and it's holy, well, then the whole thing it came from must be holy. And uh, that's all he's saying is there's a holiness in the whole of this. And Israel is being set apart for something and God's doing something. And hope. We must trust that God's got this in hand. And um, a number of years ago, it was before actually my wife and I had ever met, so a number of years ago, uh, I was still in college actually at the time, and uh, my roommate had invited me to go down to his place. He lived in Pompano, Florida. If you ever have a choice, get roommates from Pompano, Florida. Because <laughs> when they ask you to go to their place, dude, it's a nice place. So we went down to Pompano and we were on the shore there and uh, he had all the shore equipment. And so we went shore fishing. Okay. And uh, so he casts out these rods and he's got them set in the sand and we're kicking back and we're just talking and joking a few of us together there and laughing and telling stories. And all of a sudden you hear the line get hit and it runs, you know, the right as it's running out, he steps up, he grabs it, he bam, he sets it and he starts just grinding on this thing, pulling it in and pulling on it and and then at one point he looks back he goes man this is gonna taste good tonight right and he keeps cranking on the and he's exhausted now he hands it over now i pick it up and i'm cranking and then i pass it off to the next guy and we pass it around and we're pulling this thing in finally he's back on it again and as he's reeling this thing in we're like what is going on he's like i'm just telling you this is going to be good eating tonight and now some crowd is kind of gathered a little bit as they're seeing this pole bending and and all of a sudden yanks and lands the thing 50 foot sand or 50 pound sand shark 50 foot would have been bad (laughs) Run! 50 pound sand shark about this long as he lands the beast and uh you know all of us that are standing there we're like okay nice now what you know and uh, he knew what he was doing and he had all the licenses and whatnot to be capturing the shark and and uh, we ended up having shark steak that night that night wow that is some good stuff and uh, as we're sitting there, he's like, dude, this is going to be awesome as he's taking care of all of it, right? And the mom's standing by. They're like, Billy, get over here, right? Pull the gun. Jimmy, get out of the water. Get out of the water. Do you see what's in there? Get out of the water, right? And um, isn't it amazing how we can use our imagination for hope? Can't wait to be eating this tonight. Can you imagine what it's going to Or for fear. Do you know what could happen to your leg? Get out of that water, right? Imagination. You use your imagination every day and you have a choice. It's either for hope. What is God going to do through this? Or fear. What devastating next thing is coming my way? Where are you at? How do you use your imagination? Do you see God's hand at work and get the hope that you need to have in him as he's making all things new, as the song says? Do you get it? We have a God at work. Simple question. Are you using your imagination for fear? Being able to be an expert, listing everything that could go wrong? Or for hope? Think of what God might do through this. That's our call. Trust and hope. Third, humility. Humility. Hey, Gentiles, 
Remember that we are saved by faith in our perfect king, not by anything innately good in us. Hey, Gentiles, uh, remember that we are saved by faith in our perfect king, not by anything innately good in us. It isn't because we're so awesome that we're saved. It is faith in him, and he is so awesome. Uh, That's worth an amen. Amen? That's our hope. He says here, now we're going to get into a metaphor, and I want to read a couple verses, then we're going to talk a little bit. Check this out. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root in the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. You hearing it? So now we're talking olive trees, all right? And uh, all of us know about olive trees, right? Yeah, that's what I thought. So here's the deal. Uh, in Paul's time, olive trees were a very common fruit, fruit tree, all right? They were used, the olive was used for food. It was used for oils. It was used for the fuel within the lamp to be able to burn some things. And so it was used all over the place. They used the olive tree for a ton, okay? It really, quite frankly, would be like us talking about corn or beans around here, right? Something you see everywhere, and so you have some common knowledge of it and understanding of it. And so he's alluding to some of those. Uh, Here's a fact I learned this week. Um, Wild olive trees did not grow much fruit, almost none. They were pretty nasty and gnarly, and they didn't really grow a lot of fruit, okay? It was the what is called the natural olive tree here, or the cultivated olive tree, the one that's taken care of, where you prune off the junk, and you end up getting this really rich fruit tree. The one thing you would never do is go take a wild olive branch that's all gnarly and, and graft it in. It'll mess up the fruit, man. You would never do that, okay? Everybody say never. You would never do that. But that's exactly what Paul does in his metaphor here. It's contrary to nature. And he calls it that. Contrary to nature. He's making a big point. You may not do it, people. But my God's got this thing in hand. You watch what he's going to do as he does the unthinkable. Bringing the wild into the cultivated. All right? That's what we need to be watching for in this overall metaphor. Now, here's the problem with metaphors. Metaphors are stories. And so we have to interpret to be able to understand what does that represent? What does this represent? Right? So what's the natural branch? And well, what's the wild branch? And what's the root? And what does it mean to be grafted? What does it mean to be cut off? And by the decisions you make, you'll get a story that unfolds. Let's just be careful of this. In the midst of working through a metaphor, can we just agree? That's not our moment to try to self-develop a brand new theology. You know what I'm saying? Like we need to make sure we are well supported in other scripture with where we stand. And that's going to be really important as we walk through this metaphor. All right. So we have a metaphor, olive tree, wild, bad, natural, good, lots of fruit, right? Here we go. Let's reread this now. But if some of the branches, right, these natural branches, that's the Jews here, were broken off and you, he's talking to the Gentiles, and you Gentiles, although a wild olive shoot were grafted in among, at that moment, every Jewish gardener would be like, oh, it's not going to work, right? And uh, grafted in the wild olive shoots, they were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree. Do not be arrogant towards the branches. Like, hey, Gentiles, your job is not to be arrogant towards these Jewish natural branches. So let's do a quick define in the metaphor. Ready? The natural branches, that's ethnic Israel. All right? 
They were born into it. They got the DNA of it. They're under Abraham's bloodline. Okay. That's the natural branches. The wild branches, uh, not in it. That's you and me. Gentiles. All right. And uh, so the natural branches, ethnic Israel, wild branches, Gentiles, really no disagreement on that by anybody who knows these metaphors because he explains it out. Uh, the root. What is the root here? And uh, I'm just going to be really clear that uh, I'm calling it out covenant blessing. I think that's the best way to understand it. I'm going to explain a little bit more to you on this in just a second. But it's covenant blessing. It's underneath God through Abraham as he pours on blessing and takes care of us. The root. All right. Grafted in. It's when you're placed under covenant blessing. He calls out a faith statement that's needed to be able to be there. Uh, Grafted in. And then cut off means removed from that covenant blessing. All right. So those are the metaphors that we got going on. Those are the pieces to the metaphor so that we can understand it. Just being real careful so that as we move along, we understand what it says. All right. Everybody take a deep breath with me. Yeah. So this is a lot of metaphor. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do in the midst of it. There are three things that we must get out of it. Three imperatives that are told. Three commands that we must take away. And if we don't get those, we blew it, okay? And you can toy around with all the little nuances and all the subtleties, but there is a simple three-set command, and we better get it out of it. The first command, do not be arrogant. Do not be arrogant. He starts it out right there in verse 18 as he's just talked about the wild olive branch getting grafted in. Don't be arrogant towards the other branches, right? It's not like the ones that were cut off have something horrible about them and there's something great about you. Quite frankly, there's something horrible about all of y'all. Right? That's what he's talking about. So stop with the arrogance thing, right? And uh, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember it is not you who supports the root, but the root that supports you. And uh, some would say the root is Jesus Christ. This is where I'd probably have a problem with it. I think it's kind of obvious that we don't support Jesus. Jesus supports us, right? That almost goes without needing to be said. That's why I think this is a little more subtle. I think it has to do with the covenant blessing coming from uh, through God, through the patriarchs as he made promise and worked through Israel. And there's blessing that comes with that. And uh, we get that blessing through faith, all right? It's a subtlety, but it's a, it's a big deal moment just for you to get that. Notice now it says... Um, The first command, don't be arrogant, okay? Um, Then you will say, right, because everybody talks back. Paul's like, I know what's coming. Here comes the talk back, right? Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. And uh, Paul's answer, that is true, right? They were broken off because of their unbelief. Do you hear it? Being a little scolding now. He's like, watch yourselves. They are cut off because of their unbelief. And uh, this is a big deal moment. I'm going to explain a little bit more in just a second. He, He goes on. But you stand fast through faith. You stand fast through faith. So you have faith. You're grafted in. They don't believe. They don't have faith. They're cut out. You stand in a very tenuous spot. Your faith alone and all his mercy. And nothing good in and of yourself that's putting you there. Be careful with the pride and the bragging. That's what he's saying, okay? So, don't be proud. Now he moves on to the final statement here uh, of the second command. Yes, that's right, don't be proud. He says, so do not become proud, but fear. There's your second command. Fear. Don't be proud. Fear. These are in the imperative form in the original language. They're also in the imperative form in the English. Fear. Like, that means awe, yes. 
Respect, yes, those are true statements, but I think all too often we're a little quick to try to dismiss fear as having absolutely nothing negative to it. I'm just telling you, we need to be a little cautious of that position. It does take with it this position. God is huge, and I am not. He is holy, and I am not. He is righteous, and I am not. He is just, and I am wrong. And I better be careful of my position before that God, okay? Awe and respect, yes. Love the fact that he has a mercy and a love, yes. But also get that he actually has this justice side to him. Big deal, all right? And uh, so fear, respond in fear as well. It's a healthy understanding of God in charge. If you grasp your sin, you will grasp fear. If you try to dismiss everything away and call him mercy all the time, mercy, and I don't ever have to look at me, you will have a tough time with that word. It comes when we recognize who we aren't in front of our king. All right? So first command, do not be arrogant. Second command, kind of works right with it, fear. Have a proper respect for who your God is and what's going on. Your lack of deserving it and his unbelievable gift of it. Okay? Then he says... Third piece now we're stepping into. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Wow. Paul's got the gift of encouragement, huh? Like, what are you saying, Paul? And and this is what he's saying. I'm telling you, there was something awesome about what the Jews had. They had the ethnic line. They had the belief in the law. They had the following through in the covenants. There was much that was correct with where they stood. They were the natural branches. And bro, they were cut off. For a lack of belief in him. You stand in a tenuous spot. Do not make it make yourself believe somehow because of your awesomeness you're in. It is strictly because of his awesomeness that you're in. Trust in him. Okay? Now he heads up to the third statement here. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Third command. Note then the kindness and severity of God. The word note is in the imperative form. Do this. The command we are to get out of this is note this. All right? What are we supposed to note? The kindness. Oh, that's good. I can do that. Note the kindness of God, the mercy of God, the love of God, how he reaches out to us, right? And the severity of God. And uh, he goes on to describe it here. He says the severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you. Okay, severity to those who have fallen, like those who have unbelief, cut off, moved away. But to those who have um, faith, well, then he's pouring on kindness. So we're seeing a dual response. Let me just ask you real quickly. Do you constantly look at God as a kindness God? Or do you see him as a kindness and severity God? Or do you see him as a severity only God? Both and Note that it's what gives us the balanced understanding of our king. All right. That's a big deal call. Everybody say that's a big deal. I'm telling you, that's a big deal. As you wrestle with Romans 9, 10 and 11, yes to kindness, yes to severity. God will be worshiped huge in your life with that. All right. Now we get to uh, a couple of pieces here that could be uh, the most troublesome in the in the whole illustration, all right? And I'm just going to tell you this right up front. 
I went through, I think I'm up to 20 or 21 commentaries that I've read through now trying to get the understanding of this. And uh, here's the sad part. Not one of them exactly agrees with each other. All right. So the tough understanding of this, it's going to be tough. It's a subtlety. I'm not saying we should try to get it all here in a few minutes, but I want to explain to you what I'm doing with it. And then you can take it from there. All right. So for if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note the kindness and severity of God, severity toward those who have fallen, but kindness to you provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise you too will be cut off. Oh, that doesn't sound good. Right. And some would read this and they're like, I told you, you can lose your salvation. Right. And so let's be very careful when we read this passage. Remember, we said when we started with metaphor, let's not just come to conclusions that may contradict things we've just read. If you look back just a couple of chapters. So like we're talking as Paul's quoting this off and having things recorded, it's maybe within an hour or two of him quoting Romans eight, where he said, whom God foreknows, he predestines, calls, justifies and glorifies, locked up, guaranteed, will not be lost. Okay. That's what he says. He says this in the later part of Romans 8. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Nothing. Or how about this in John chapter 6? All that the Father draws will come, and all that comes will not be cast out. Okay? Better be careful. We've got very strong passages of Scripture that you cannot lose the salvation. So what do we do with this? All right. So here's what I do with this, and I'm going to be real quick on it. I'm just telling you, I have a real problem with one part of this metaphor, and this, I think, helps explain it all. If you go to the very first part of the metaphor, the olive tree, you have a group of Israelites grafted into the olive tree, and they're not believers. How did they get there? they, they They were born into it. That's how they got there. Right? They were born into covenant, and so their parents are trusting in God in some way, and they do the circumcision for their son, and the child is born into the covenant, and so a natural um, vine kind of sprouts off of the root, right? And so you have them born into it, and yet, not yet believing in God. They don't believe as they grow up. They end up in a rebellious, non-faith position, and that's who God's cutting out. You actually have unbelievers in this root. They're Jews who are raised up in covenant. They were born into it. And uh, if you're like, how does that work? And just take a look at our church. We had like 60 kids born into this church last year. 60 kids. Let that settle. The nation of Israel. Can you imagine how many a million people would have? And they're having kids born in and they're sprouting on the root of this. They're unsaved, but they're trusting in um, their parents to be leading them along the way. Okay. But at some point as they get older, they're like, mm-mm. And that unbelief cuts them off, separates them away. Why do I say that? Because it's really important you get that there are people getting actual feeding from the root that aren't saved. There are these Israelites born into it. So whatever you do with this metaphor, just know that, okay? Now it says that we have them cut off. These people who, like us, if we don't continue in his kindness, cut off. Meaning, not sharing in, this is what I think it is. I think it's a blessing through God of the covenants as he's just pouring on blessing in this earthly world. He's pouring on awesome blessing. And what a privilege we get to taste in it and share in it. Cut off from it if there's a lack of continuing in his kindness. That's where I'm at right now. I don't think it means loss of salvation because then we have to throw out other parts of scripture. Does everybody get that? That's a big problem. Everybody say, that's a big problem. 
That'd be a big problem. And, and so I'm not just maneuvering it because of that. I'm like, I don't know how to deal with the fact that we have Jews at the front end who aren't saved, but they're getting blessing from the root. And you'll have to answer that question well for yourself as you figure out this metaphor. So for those who are intellectual and you want to go off and do that, good luck. That's your, that's your key. That took me a lot of hours of study. You better lock in on that bad boy. Okay, somehow that front end Israelite not saved yet getting blessing from the root. And so at the end here, there is a pulling away from the root that happens if we're not continuing in kindness. I just want to say it this way. Let me be really clear. There is huge cost to not continuing in God's kindness. Let's not toy with it. It may not mean loss of salvation, but it is loss, man. Cut from that root is a big deal and it is massive. And so let me just say it this way. Have you ever noticed this? God's sovereignty, man's responsibility. You ready? In God's sovereignty, when we talk of salvation, it is locked up. It is solid. It is absolute. John chapter 6, Romans chapter 8, early part. Romans chapter 8, end of. All over the place, God's sovereignty, locked up, trusted in Him. Solid, eternally secure. Man's responsibility. You better be working hard, man. Right? Have you ever noticed that? That's what Paul does. The challenge from this side. Come on now. Step it up. You better continue in that. And right, we speak to the challenge of man's responsibility. And God's got it under control. But you be working on that now. And yes, God's got it under control. Are you hearing it? That's the best way to let them play together. I'm telling you, those that camp out over here, like, ah, you just pray a prayer. You're saved. Nothing ever happens. And there's no responsibility in it. And, and, uh, and be careful. I'm not sure that's saved. Like if I have no changing going on in my life whatsoever, I just think I did some things, some wrote words and nothing ever happening. And be careful to try to claim that. That's camping over here in some little moment. That's not what scripture teaches. But on the same token, it's not. It's just all up to me. And uh, I have a God who's got his hand on it. And I have responsibility in it. You want a great verse for that? Philippians 2, 12 through 16. All right. Philippians 2, what does it say? It says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Okay, so we got the fear thing covered. We did that today. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work of his good pleasure. Are you hearing it? So we got it from the man's side. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now from the God's side. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work of his good pleasure. The two are both true and they work together. All right? God does have it in hand and we do have responsibility. Let's run after it. There is huge cost for not continuing with our God. And all of God's people said, all right, enough said there. Let's just close this out. He says, um, and even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. Remember, we talked about these Jews that are cut off for their unbelief. They haven't believed in him. God's like, at some point, there's a generation of remnant that I'm going to pull up and they're going to believe again in me. Israel remnant, and I'm grafting them back in, man. Huge things are going to happen. It says, and even they, uh, when they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in. Do you believe that? God has the power to do a mighty work in the place. And... uh for if you were cut, for if you were cut from what is a natural wild olive tree and grafted in, contrary to nature, right? You hearing it? I know wild shouldn't go into cultivated, but that's what God does. Into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted in 
to their own olive tree. All right, let's put our arms around it. Simple summary. God's working with a chosen nation, Israel. And there are many that aren't believing. And yes, cut off. They miss the blessing coming from God Almighty. But there is a remnant. There will always be a remnant. Israel's protected. All right, he's moving them along. And in the midst, it is coming over to all the Gentiles. And hundreds of millions are coming to trust in him. God's being glorified. Huge work being done. Hundreds of millions of worshipers of our Savior. Gentiles coming in. There's a point where the Israel nation is going to start getting it. Jealousy or whatever it is. And all of a sudden, God wakes up a generation. And they come by the droves, man. And when they start pouring back in, believing in him, he's Crafting them back in and get ready. The exclamation point is being set for what comes after it is life from the dead. Resurrection. God Almighty doing a work. Huge eternity with him. He's got the fullness of the Gentiles come in. He's got the fullness of Israel come in. And God's now putting his worship in place. And all of God's people said, yeah, God's got a plan for salvation. Trust him. Hope, trust, and be humble. And three simple commands for us. Don't be arrogant. Fear. And in the midst of it, note both his kindness and severity. And watch your God work. Let's pray.